Let's think of a different shape. Got the miss. Like defense. Jones, can he get a shot off? Let's go. Yes! Jones knocks it down to tie the game. Come on, Duke. Let's go, Duke. Come on. Yeah. Yeah, let's think of a different cheer. Let's think of a different cheer. Different cheer. Different cheer. Different cheer. Different cheer. Yeah, let's go. Come on, Duke. A miss. Attack. Come on, Duke. Jones. Tips. Yes. Let's go. Hey there, it's Gary Parish. It's Sunday, February 9th, 2020. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting and leaky black Matt Norlander is here with me. And, you know, I agreed with those who said going into the weekend that Saturday's Duke-North Carolina game was the least anticipated Duke-North Carolina game in a long time, mostly because... Tar Heels aren't that good, but the game turned into an all-timer. Incredible stuff down the stretch. Like, I don't remember everything about every Duke-UNC game I've ever watched or even attended. In fact, I don't remember much about any of the three meetings last season except for that Zion's shoe exploded in one of them. But I won't forget this one. UNC up big, then Duke rallies. Trey Jones intentionally misses a free throw at the end of regulation, gets the rebound, makes a jumper, forces overtime, then in OT. After Andrew Playtech was assaulted, but without a whistle, Duke gets the ball, down a point, Trey Jones gets fouled, makes the first, tie game, misses the second, but Wendell Moore taps it out, Trey Jones ends up with it again, and then with the score tied in the final seconds, he shoots an air ball, but Wendell Moore got it and put it in at the buzzer. Final score, Duke 98, UNC 96, inside the Dean Smith Center, Duke got two buzzer beaters in the same game, improved to 20-3 and on the season. Let's go, Duke. Come on. Norlander, you wrote about it. It's your turn to talk about it. <laughs> Can we talk about that intro? Can I get my shouts right here, right now? I spent 45 minutes on Sunday afternoon building out that bad boy. And I did. Uh, this is already going to be in the No Context Ion College Basketball Podcast preview Twitter. I got a screenshot of Parrish laughing over Skype as he listened to that. He did not. So as you just listened to that on this podcast... Parrish listened to that for the first time, literally as I hit record and we get, began starting this podcast. Come on now. Give it to me. Oh, God. How that was good. That? You did a good job. How about that? <laughs> different oh. cheer. Different cheer. Different cheer. <laughs> Went a little techno with that, man. Uh, I had to, man. Just incredible, incredible stuff there. So hope everyone enjoyed that. And for the... For the, those who like to listen to the podcast on 1.5 speed, I'm with you. I'm a 1.5-er, or even uh, for those who like to go double speed. I hope that you listened at regular speed. If you did not, rewind this bad boy. Go back to the start. Appreciate it for what it is. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, that's a high mark in this podcast in 2020. The game was just absolutely absurd. Obviously, on the Friday pod, we talk about 
how unenthused we were for it. And damn, if this is not uh, a commentary on that rivalry on college sports and on sports in general, GP, we are always enabling ourselves to be shocked and surprised. We've never seen it all. As I wrote on late Saturday night, there have been millions of games of organized basketball played over the centuries, and none of them uh, could have mimicked what we saw here. There's never been, there's no way there's ever been that kind of scenario after scenario after scenario after scenario that got laid out. For the Carolina fans listening, I understand you're bitter. Um, I don't blame you because Ted Valentine and his crew, they botched that on the inbounds play. Now, good on Duke to, I guess, induce the pass to Playtech in that spot. It's a bad pass to begin with. You don't want to be putting it in that kind of traffic. But uh, Playtech got fouled, and the ball was off of Duke. I thought that was fairly clear there. So uh, you can have some griping over that. Um, I didn't think it was the worst officiated game I'd ever seen. But we had a lot of stoppages, by the way, which kind of sucked it out. This was almost a three-hour long game GP there's a lot to to get to here obviously you covered so much of it there and there's even stuff you didn't touch on because frankly we could spend an hour and a half on the game we won't but there's just so much there in terms of how UNC was up big 13 points with four minutes to go they blow that Trey Jones was amazing he had 18 points in the final minute and overtime I saw something where he was the first player in this rivalry to have at least uh, like 25 points, six dimes, and five boards since Jordan. Just incredible. Um, so I got more to get to, but I'll just vo- I'll volley it back to you so I don't uh, go on too long of a monologue here. To you, um, I presume you are able to watch this live, and uh, just uh, your main thoughts either on the game or your takeaways to the takeaways because obviously we haven't been short on those in the previous, say, 20 hours or so here. Well, um, I, I was on sideline for Memphis USF yesterday. So I was, you know, I'm doing a game and then caught in traffic. And by the time I get home, the game is in the second half. And Carolina has been controlling the entire game. And it just looks like, you know, it's, it's going to be one of those nights in college basketball where uh, the bad home team wins in surprising fashion. And forget up, I think you said 14 with four minutes to go. They're up 10 with 2.06 left. I mean, it's almost impossible. Mm-hmm. You're up 10 with 2.06 left. And then Duke outscores North Carolina 15 to 5 in the final 2.06, which means they scored 15 points in the final 2.06. And some of it was. I know if Roy looks back at it, it'll just make him sick because it seemed like they got so North Carolina uh, determined to prevent threes that they just let Trey Jones keep driving to the rim in transition. He'd just get the ball and just run straight to the rim and and lay it in or get fouled. It, it, It didn't happen a million times. It felt like it happened a million times, which is what put them in position um, to, to send the game to overtime. And I just thought, uh, we'll take it in the order that it happened at the end of regulation. Um, you know, I thought obviously the way Trey threw it off the rim was terrific. I mean, he threw it off the rim and it went all the way to the three point line. I know. But beyond that, I thought this was interesting. He got it and immediately threw it like he like he like the like he was right. trying to catch everybody off guard because sometimes those guys, you know, they, they catch the ball and they'll dribble, dribble, spin it, whatever you do. But he got it and almost immediately just threw it off the rim. And then he he recovers it, obviously. And then I, I thought the other part, I mean, he he this is a bad jump shooter who made an incredible jump shot to force overtime. It really was just a terrific final final few minutes. But, uh, you know, certainly the final um the final sequence of events in regulation was you don't see that every day, as they say. Now, the um 
Right. So he had mentioned in the post game uh, with Holly Rowe that he steps up, he took a little bit of step to the right to help the angle. But you're right. He he shot it. Rel- I say shot it. He threw it relatively fast, and that's not an it's not an easy thing to do. Okay, you got to be close to pinpoint accuracy when you're going on a, a, a little more. Um, then I guess it would be like a what a 20 degree angle that you're trying to throw it at. He hits it. The way he throws it, there's this weird backspin off of it. It goes out to the three point line, so no one's ready for that kind of carom. So then it's to him, and then Trey Jones is not a good jump shooter. He's not a good three point shooter. He's not good from 15 feet. And for him in that moment to, um, I thought relatively calmly get the ball, no time and space, get it up and send it uh, send it to OT was was terrific. And, oh, by the way, uh, shouts to Mark Titus because um, he had mentioned this, and I thought the exact same thing in the second that it happened. I thought Duke thought it won when he hit the shot. One of those things where it's a weird miss, and maybe that wasn't the case, and maybe it was perfectly clear the message was in the, in the timeout from Krzyzewski and the staff to the players. Uh, make one, miss the second, get it there. But it almost looked <laughs> like a little bit like they thought they actually won the game there. Uh, nevertheless, they, they get to overtime, and they do so. You know, without Vernon Carey Jr. on the floor for the for the entirety of that run, when he fouled out of the game, it was a 13-point margin in favor of Carolina. And and Trace Jones, uh, I, you know, he he him and Carey have kind of been playing leapfrog in terms of who's the best player for Duke. There, Carey's put up some great numbers, but Trey Jones, like definitively on, on the heels of this game, I mean, they don't come close to winning it if he's not on the floor there. And Carey's been a really good player, and he would still be under consideration as far as I'm concerned for first-team All-American status. But Trey Jones showed why on Saturday night. Uh, he is one of the most important players to their respective teams in college basketball. The shot was incredible. By the way, credit, of course, to ESPN, Jay Billis, uh, Jan Schulman on the call there in the intro uh, for the podcast. But um, so we get there, and then overtime starts, and you almost, Paris, you had a little bit uh, of some shell shock there with Carolina. Duke gets out to a, a five-point lead, and it, it's kind of like, okay, this is just how it's going to go. And then UNC goes on an 11-to-1 run, and I posted the screenshot to Twitter late Saturday night. According to Ken Palm, the, see, the win probability got nutty. Uh, at the start of the game, Duke was 87.3% to win the game. It got to 50 right at about halftime when Carolina had a nine-point edge. Um, and then it started obviously going uh, opposite of Duke and towards UNC. At its worst point, uh, Carolina was 97.7 to win in regulation, and then uh, effectively about that as well, uh, deep into overtime before things went completely haywire there. And, uh, you know, credit to to Duke being able to come back, but... I mean, this was a bizarre game. I, you had Walker. And also, the uniforms in it, I, I'm just annoyed by this. We're always going to see these highlights. And when we see them, we're going to remember that this amazing, unforgettable, freakish ending has to be tainted by those dumbass uniforms. They look like look ridiculous out there, right? I mean, they were even worse than we expected, Parrish. Yeah, I didn't. And I think it was the Carolina ones. You couldn't even read the names on the back because exactly. they were like in silver or something. It was just bad. No good, no good. Well, Walker Miller, credit to and Walker Miller, younger half-brother of UNC Greensboro coach and, and former UNC player Wes Miller. He he averages two minutes a game. He finds, because of the, uh, of the foul trouble, he found himself in the game and on the line uh, in overtime. And it just was, it was surreal, like, looking up and being like, there are dudes in this game right now. I don't know who these people are. Like, it was just, it was, it was bizarre. But obviously, um, a classic. And then we had, of course... Uh, we had the ending, which was another missed foul shot. 
Um, and it was uh, Jordan Goldwire who got the board, got it to Jones, who then again tried to be the hero, but instead it was Wendell Moore who did it. And this is David Shoemate, Learfield IMG College. Here was the radio call of the ending of the game. On the way. No. Long rebound, tapped out, controlled by Goldwire. Jones with three, with two for the win. No, tapped up by Moore. And in at the buzzer. Moore banks it in. And the Blue Devils win it. 98 to 96. Trey Jones and Mike Krzyzewski embrace. And it's a Duke Blue kind of night in Chapel Hill. Credit to David Shoemate from IMG Learfield College. He called the Duke win in the moment. It looked good in there, but they obviously had to review it. Wendell Moore, <laughs> right place, right time. Uh, mild shades of NC State in 83 to win the title in that you had the air ball and the caught ball and putting it back here. It wasn't on the dunk. It was on the layup there, and they got it off in time. And we have um, just an, a, an amazing, epic ending, weird game, and... <laughs> for Carolina, man, you know, this has been a disaster of a season. If you really go back and look at how Carolina has lost so many of the games it's lost this season, it's been brutal. Um, uh, uh, just uh, slicing irony that Carolina opts to not foul against Clemson. By doing that, the game goes to overtime and Clemson hits a three and then it loses in overtime. That game's at home. This game's at home. Opts to do the exact reverse, gets the foul on Trey Jones in a three-point game, puts him on the line, and instead, they still gets to overtime because of that, and they lose anyway. The odds of you do, uh, choosing two different uh, philosophies and two different scenarios and still coming out as losers in overtime in both of them, is, they're, they're so extremely slim. And if anything... It goes to show, by the way, that following up three is not for sure always going to work. There have been studies. I linked to them in the column. Uh, it does work, and it works a lot, but it's not guaranteed. And that's Because if it was guaranteed, every single team would do it every single time. There is always a chance, whatever uh, circumstances may crop up, that you can lose eventually because of this. And Carolina has uh, experienced both of that. So bummer to them because you get the win here, Parrish, and it's like it's the one good thing about this season. You, you beat Duke when it was this big favorite coming in, but Cole Anthony's playing well. Dean Dome is packed. It's, you know, you have all that going for you, and instead you blow a 13-point lead, and as you said, 10 with less than two minutes to go. And, you know, this is one of the best comebacks in Duke history. I mean, the Maryland one, 10 points in a minute, obviously, is among the most famous. This, to me, right now, is basically just about up there with that. Considering the opponent, all the circumstances involved, the, um, the amount of the deficit, and then the Dean Dome, Duke double buzzer beater. And it comes eight years to the day of Austin Rivers' buzzer beater inside the Dean Smith Center. I was actually there for that one. Oh, you were? Yeah. And I remember just being stunned because it was the same type of thing. Like, what just happened? Hmm. Like, I think if you went back and found my column, it, like it, it, the, the first 200 words are me basically like, what? What just <laughs> happened? Like, how did that how did that just happen? And that team won that game. And so I didn't realize it while I was watching that it was eight years to the day. But obviously it got um, some social media uh, buzz to your point about fouling up three. It's true that it doesn't work every time, obviously, and it is true that not everybody does it. But I do believe, and correct me if if you think I'm wrong, I do think most coaches subscribe to that now. That most coaches want to foul up three inside five seconds. Uh, I think more than not, and definitely a lot more than not, even five seven years ago, it's still uh, it's it's gone more that way. But. Uh, uh, 
what you don't want what you because what in doing this you are guaranteeing you're not guaranteeing but you are highly increasing the probability of giving the opponent points and so that's why in an old school kind of way some coaches have been against it um it's tough though uh you got to get the right kind of foul in the right spot with just an, uh, uh, just enough on the clock like under five if you can do it but really like under three seconds if you can do it uh, in a weird way <laughs> you know Carolina Fountain gave him too much time um yeah. Trey Jones wound up having enough time to gather first of all the the rebounds insane just that that kind of play uh we've now in this in in less than a year uh between uh, Ty Jerome missing it um, in the Elite Eight and Mamadi Diakite getting the pass from uh, Kihei Clark. And now this one, just, you know, two freaky kind of plays here off missed foul shots to uh, send a game up to overtime. But Dr- Jones had enough time. If there was 2.4 seconds instead of four and change, 4.4 was it, 4.2? Um, you know, if Trey Jones is aware of that, like maybe he rushes a bad three and then Carolina wins, but you fouled a bit too early. It's hard to it's hard to execute, and that's what uh, that's what makes it even more dramatic. Real quick, GP though, um, when that Austin Rivers uh, game happened, Duke was a 27 and 7 team that season, uh, was a two seed in the tournament when it got that win again on February. 8th, it was 85-84. I did not remember this last night when I saw it. I did not remember it being that Duke was actually down two when he hit the three to actually win it. So it was a do or die shot there, and Carolina was a 32-16. and 16. It was a one seed. So awesome game uh, between two really good teams that season. This one obviously uh, is just the flip of the 95 season when uh, Duke tied it in overtime. Carolina won it in the extra session at Duke when Duke didn't make the tournament that year just as Carolina will not make it this year. I'll give uh, Jay Billis some credit because he talked about fouling too soon when it actually happened. Um, you know, they, they fouled near half court. And yeah. Jay was like, listen, this is not disastrous but it's not ideal either like they fouled duke i mean carolina fouled duke trey jones too early and they left specifically 4.4 seconds on the clock if they wait until you know he takes another three dribbles you know maybe now we're less than three on the clock and as you correctly note uh, you know then trey jones doesn't have to time to get the rebound um dribble lose control, dribble again, and then get inside the arc and take a manageable pull-up jumper. So it is it is possible that, you know, the reason North Carolina found itself in overtime is simply because it fouled a little too early. Like every tick of a uh, tenth of a second mattered there. And, and and they did foul, and Jay noted it in the broadcast in real time. They, they fouled earlier than they should have fouled. But like you said, it's, it's, it's a hard thing because uh, – you know, Coaches do practice this with their teams and that fine line between we want to foul up three, but make sure it's not in a shooting motion. And so then your mindset becomes, well, I got to get this person before he's in a shooting motion. I guess I'll get him now. Boom. And now you fouled too early. Um, it, it, it can be a complicated deal in North Carolina. Um, yeah, they just they fouled just, a, you know, maybe a second, second and a half too early. And it might have been the difference in the game. You mentioned, uh, you know, Carolina not fouling up three against Clemson. And that's not because they didn't want to. If you remember the post game, Roy was really beating himself up because right. he said, I let my players down because I'm supposed to help them. And I didn't help them because I forgot to tell them to foul up three. And so, you know, that's in the back of his mind. So he's like, all right, guys, we're a hundred percent fouling up three. Now remember against Clemson, I forgot to tell you, not this time we're going to do it this way. <laughs> and then it just backfires. It's just gut wrenching, man. I like it, it was a fun final you know, two minutes and then overtime. But you just feel sick for Roy and those North Carolina players because not only did they blow a double-digit lead with two, you know, 206 left, 
and then blow a five-point lead in overtime and then lose to a rival in the most ridiculous way ever. Um, look, let's circle back to the Andrew Playtick situation. Like, he was fouled, and they just didn't blow the whistle. Yep. And if they blow the whistle there, I believe it's Carolina up a point shooting free throws. Mm-hmm. Is that where we're at? Yes, at that yeah, point. I, yes, yeah, at that yes. point. Yeah, yeah, at that point, we're going to be Carolina up a point, shooting free throws at the other end of the court, and instead, it's Trey Jones. Um, it's 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 Duke inbounding the ball, right? Because it was a turnover, right? And, and Trey Jones getting fouled, right? And by the way, he got that ball up on the rim. It looked like he had no shot of getting it up on the rim, and it he like got it up on the rim, like I he know. had a, it almost went in, but it didn't. And then he you know makes the first, misses the second. We've gone through the rest of that, but. Those refs failed North Carolina in that moment because you you and you got to understand the situation. Duke is going to aggressively try to steal, and if not steal, foul. And you so you've got to be focused on that. And if you see any contact, blow the whistle. And there was undeniable contact, and they didn't blow the whistle. I know people like to say there's a well, you know, no one thing determines the outcome of a game, and that is, I guess, true. But that, as much as anything else determine the outcome of that game. I mean, it is possible Carolina could have gone down, missed two free throws, and um, and, and then and then Trey Jones hits a game winner or Wendell Moore. Somebody does. Like, who knows how the rest of that plays out? But obviously, Carolina not being on, uh, not being in possession with a one-point lead um, was a direct result of the officials failing to blow a whistle when a foul was clearly committed. And, um, yeah, and it's – I don't want to say it was bang bang. Uh, you know, it was Wendell Moore was actually the player that made contact with Andrew Playtech when that happened there. Um, and I, I, I tell you what, when I was watching this game, you know, in in real time as as we're getting closer to regulation, first of all, like, <laughs> and shouts to anyone who happens to be listening to the pod that was covering the game or had to write about it. Um, because the rewrites were coming every two minutes. And just in terms of, okay, what we're going to write about, what are we going to lead here with? Uh, the lead kept shrinking, no Vernon Carey. Uh, no Cassius Stanley for the final two and a half minutes of overtime as well. Um, a bizarre kind of all-time classic. You know, f- maybe oddly fitting in the 100-year anniversary of this rivalry that you get uh, something so good. I do want to mention, though, Trey Jones had 28. Cassius Stanley had 22. Vernon Carey Jr. had 18. Wendell Moore, his final two, gave him 17 for the game there. For Carolina... Cole Anthony had 24. He had 11 rebounds. Garrison Brooks was terrific for most of the night. He had 18 points. Armando Baycott, who's you know factoring more into the lineup here, he had 12. He played well. And then Christian Keeling, he had 13. But the problem is Keeling has been uh, identified here as uh, as someone who failed to box out <laughs> effectively, uh, particularly in overtime there. And uh, these are the things that, unfortunately, if you if you're on the losing end of that, uh, the box outs, man, just it's. How many times do we see games end because of a failed box out or a mixed box out? And that was part of it, particularly with the winner, because you had Wendell Moore. Shout to shout to Moore for getting his hand up above everyone else, tipping it back, and then uh, you had Goldwire getting it and just instinctively getting it to Trey Jones, who was like, "I right, I got this again." Except he so did not have it again. It's weird, Parrish. If Jones is merely, like, I don't know if he was fatigued, if he rushed, who knows why he shot it the way he shot it. But if it's a normal shot and he just gets rim, again, Carolina wins. But because, and if you, I've watched the, I've watched the shot well, now at least 20 it was, times. It was, tied, it was tied at that point. It was tied at that point. Yeah, 98, 96. Sorry, sorry. It was tied yeah, at yeah. that point. 
instead, it falls perfectly like a pass to Wendell Moore right underneath the hoop, gets it up, and yeah, man. I mean, that has become one of the memorable games of the season. Was it an amazing game? No, because for most of it, Carolina Carolina had the lead for all but like two minutes of the entire game. Should have won, didn't, and uh, Duke, in doing so, um, keeps its resume in good standing. We'll get to some of the stuff that the committee gave us when Duke was a two overall. But a loss there, I actually thought, would have been fairly detrimental to Duke's resume because it would have been as I tweeted this, Duke would have had three combined quad two and quad three losses, and no one else that was in the top 16 of the committee's reveal had more than one. Eight teams didn't even have any period, so Duke staves that off and in the here and the now remains uh, very steady on the two line. Did you really go through North Carolina's box score without highlighting Leaky Black? Oh, my gosh. I did. I'm sorry. <laughs> you're so Eight, point, you're eight so points, nine assists. Yes, he was awesome. Si- uh, seven rebounds. The homie Leaky Black almost got a triple double. He was he was genuinely good. Sorry, yeah, I was just looking at the at fellas that wound up getting double digits and figures. But you're right, Leaky Black was great. Um, a shout out to Tate Frazier here because he said something like, "I love Leaky Black, and I don't care who knows it." Hey guy, hey, listen, and now you got Carolina ties and all that stuff. This is the podcast for Leaky Black, and don't you forget. Yeah, it. Okay. yeah. Stay, stay in your own lane over there. We don't, we don't try to, we don't try to take away from you guys. Even though there's obviously great material that we could, we we let you guys do your thing. Leaky Black's our thing. Is Mark Titus going to start talking about Terry Teagle? Better yeah, yeah. Next thing you know, wow. uh, Titus is going to tweet about Larnell, and oh. then what? And then we're going to have an issue. That's and then happen. we're going to have a podcast fight. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to fight with them. I mean, a, they're bigger than us. <laughs> they're bigger than me. Oh yeah, yeah. That's that's for sure. Yeah. So listen, you guys can do your thing and let us have Leaky Black and Camel fighting and, and Terry Teagle. Oh, that's boy. all. Yes. That's right. Well, it was. Um, hey man, heck of a jolt in the arm. Um, I did. Uh, I did have Carolina. Uh, the line ended up being eight, I think. Now it was twelve on Ken Palm, but I took Carolina. Uh, you took Duke, so you were you were wrong there. But you had Gonzaga. You were right. I had St. Mary's. We were both right with Marquette. We both missed on Nova against Seton Hall. And then what I was actually going to start the podcast with was the clip of you saying it's disrespectful because for what I have to think is the seventh straight time here, you have claimed a line against a coach is disrespectful picked in favor of said coach only to see that team not cover. That is exactly what happened with Auburn, even though it got an incredible win, and in fact, from a win probability standpoint, Auburn's ridiculous come-from-behind win against LSU almost matches what Duke did to Carolina, but nonetheless, LSU takes a loss. Auburn remains in good standing. Again, we can get to them when we get to the uh, the bracket stuff, but I didn't want to let too much time go by before reminding listeners, if you ever hear Parrish say it's disrespectful, and you're going to hear it again. Hell, you might hear it this Friday. You need to run as fast as you can in the other direction. And I now reserve the right that if you say that to switch my pick because I'm going to. I believe I also said it was disrespectful to only make Villanova a two-point favorite at home. (laughs) You might have actually. (laughs) Inside Wells Fargo Center over Seton Hall. And, of course, Seton Hall goes in there and wins. And now the Pirates have a three-game lead in the Big East standing. So, um, yeah, wild day, uh, wild Saturday in college basketball. Are we done with Duke and Carolina for the moment? Yeah, I think we got, we touched on a lot of what we touched there, and there might be one or two Duke things in terms of resume when we talk about the bracket. But otherwise, I think that uh, wraps up what was a game that, that became the biggest story on Saturday in Parrish. After we saw what happened in Bloomington, I thought there couldn't be anything possible that could have 
overshadowed that event to be the biggest thing on Saturday. Nevertheless, it was Duke Carolina that did it. But uh, you want to get to the general here? It's almost like you're looking at my uh, bullet points for the podcast. Uh, yeah, Bob Knight made his return to Assembly Hall this weekend. It was an emotional scene. The man spent 29 years there coaching Indiana in that building, won three national titles, 11 Big Ten titles, made five Final Fours, was inducted into the Naismith Memorial Hall of Fame, hadn't been there um, in 20 years. We're going to talk about that next, but first, check this out. Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way at newbalance.com. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do, like me taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. So Bob Knight made his return to Assembly Hall this weekend. Like I said, it was an emotional scene. He coached there for 29 years, won three national titles, but he was fired by the school in September 2000, and he's been super bitter and super angry ever since. He swore he'd never go back, but at the age of 79 and in declining health, he decided to go back Saturday to be honored with his 1980 team that finished first in the Big Ten. Some folks enjoyed it because it was a neat moment. Some folks didn't enjoy it because Bob Knight is a complex character with some ugly stuff in his past. Norlander, what what camp did you find yourself in? A, Bob Knight deserved to be honored, so it's awesome he finally allowed it to happen. Or B, Bob Knight is a bully and a bad person who should never be honored by anybody. Uh, those are two very big extremes, and I'm glad we can somewhat come somewhere in the middle. I've definitely been critical. No, you have to pick A or B. Oh, I do. Yes. <laughs> I have to pick A or B? Yes. Oh, gosh. What are you picking? I'm picking A. I'm glad that he was honored inside Assembly Hall because it's long overdue, in my opinion, even if, yes, I also agree he is a complex person with some ugly stuff in his past. I would lean more to A than B, but, um, yeah, this was uh, this was something to see, man. Um, it, it had some weirdness to it. Um, I don't know if he was joking or not when Dick Vitale approached him. I mean – that came very close to this being a different story altogether. When Dick Vitale, who's standing at the announcer booth, has his headsets on, Vitale go, uh, Knight goes over to him, and he like grabs his arm. He starts grimacing. Like I, I don't know. I don't know what Bob Knight was thinking in that moment. Um, he looked like he lost his mind for a second. Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, and I, I don't say that, um, you know, to be funny. Like, and I don't. I, I, perhaps there's a better way to phrase it. Um, he, 
if he was joking, it didn't look like it to me. Right. And he's not really that much of a jokester. Like he looked like he was ready to fight Dick Vitale. Exactly. Like get your, like, get your hands off of me. Uh, I'm or I'm about to punch you in your throat. Right. Is what it looked like. It was weird. Yes. And if he if we if he had somehow knocked Dick Vitale in the beak, elbowed <laughs> him, if Dick Vitale went down for the count, like this is not the same story at all. It is the return of Bob Knight and his uh, his last and final disgrace. Thankfully, it wasn't that, and that was only a super awkward and confusing 12-second part of what was an eight-minute continual standing ovation, and he's yelling, play defense, and he's got all these players around him. Isaiah Thomas is beaming. It was, I think, good for Knight, obviously very good for that fan base. You've got students there who have never even seen Bob Knight in person, um, I actually thought it was uh, interesting. I, as the camera was panning through, you saw, like you know, so many of the students had uh, had their phones in their hands, and then the people, uh, the blue hairs, they were just kind of all taking it in, like the generational gap. Uh, it was certainly not not lost to me as I watched that. Mark Cuban was on the sidelines there. Sage Steele, an, an Indian alumnus and Sports Center anchor, uh, was there and was getting emotional. At one point, it, I couldn't tell if Knight was laughing and smiling or if he was actually like crying. There was uh, about a minute after he got out onto the floor. Um, it was particularly emotional. So I hope for him this, uh, you know, this brought him uh, a certain uh, sense of closure more than anything else. Maybe it can mean he can return to a game or two in the future. He now lives in Bloomington again, uh, moved there last summer, uh, moved back after living um, in Lubbock for so long. And credit to anyone and everyone, obviously uh, some former players. I actually happen to think that Dick Vitale was also highly instrumental in getting this to happen because uh, regardless of their interaction uh, caught on camera, Dick Vitale and Bob Knight have been extremely close friends for a very, very long time. Knight inducted Vitale into the Naismith Hall of Fame when uh, Vitale was inducted in 2008, I believe that was. And so I, don't, I think Dickie V actually was instrumental in that as well. If you've got an issue with Bob Knight, I've got no issue with you. He's, got, he's had a lot of deplorable behavior over the years. Um, his firing was justified, and uh, the stories of him, uh, you know, allegations, true stuff, all of it uh, is despicable. Um, but he is complex. His influence on basketball can't be denied. And for uh, when it came to that and graduating players, there, there are a lot of good things and a lot of bad things you can say about Bob Knight. But this was a severing that had gone on for almost two decades. As recently as 2017, Knight said he had wished everyone responsible or, or connected to his leaving Indiana was dead. And when told uh, when told that some of them weren't, he said, well, then I hope they still are. And I'm paraphrasing here. But it's just despicable stuff there. I hope that he has been able hope that he has been able to uh, – to ease on that, to come to terms and to uh, find less anger and more inner peace. But whether that is or is not the case, obviously, Parrish, what we saw at Assembly Hall, um, certainly a powerful image, an emotional image. And I know that the fan base there had been um, hopeful but not optimistic that it would ever happen, that you would have a situation where Bob Knight held grudges until he, until he died and we weren't going to be given that. But uh, that was not the case, and I think for his players, um, that in particular is something that maybe it has, and understandably so, GP, but it has the most resonance and, and long-lasting impact uh, because, as is usually the case, no matter what kind of coach, you know, the, the people that will stand up uh, more for you than maybe anyone than your own children and um, and spouses are those that, uh, that coached you, and Knight has an army when it comes to that. Uh, there's no doubt about it. Oh, and by the way, 
I, I, I want to mention – go with that wherever you want. I, I, we have to mention this. Um, Kyle Boone shouts because Kyle Boone tw- – Kyle Boone posted the video, our own Kyle Boone from CBS, posts the video of this happening, and like two hours later, Donald Trump retweets <laughs> it, like quote tweets it. Kyle Boone got exposure to tens of millions of people across the world here. I hope his mentions have been muted for a good 24 hours, though. Um, so shouts to you, Kyle Boone. I've never been retweeted by a president of the United States, and I don't even know how. I'd love to know how Kyle Boone made his way into the eyes and mind of Donald Trump, but that happened on Saturday. Shouts to you, fella. Shouts to Kyle Porter, too. Why not? What if what if Donald Trump would have retweeted uh, Kyle Boone and and it said uh, whatever it said like you know what an amazing day Bob Knight uh, endorsed me when I was running for president and it meant a lot in the state of Indiana and then hashtag shouts to Kyle Boone hashtag shouts to Kyle Porter <laughs> that would have <laughs> that would have put it over the edge. Oh my gosh, Kyle Boone would have had to retire. Who's the most famous person that's ever retweeted you or liked a tweet of yours? Do you I, have one? That's a good question. Um. I don't know, but Michael Avenatti apparently did some stuff. I, I don't know how, how where he registers, but that was with like in connection with Duke and stuff like that. But I have not, uh, I haven't tracked that. Do you have an answer though? Mm, I don't know about a retweet, but I got a I got a Kim Kardashian like one time. Did you really? Yeah, it was a big thrill. And, for me. And that was a big thrill. That probably made your month. It did make my month. Oh, I got a shout out. Oh, Kerry Washington. Do you remember that one? I don't. I went to see Kerry Washington's uh, oh, play, I do. Yeah, 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 yeah. American I'm, Son on Broadway. When you said Kerry Washington, Kerry Underwood popped in my head, so I'm trying to think. But yeah, Kerry Washington, gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I, got a, I got a Kerry Washington. She was like, thank you for coming. There you go. I was, I was like, it's my pleasure, Kerry. No big deal. I'll see you next time I'm in town. Okay. So, but nothing, nothing, I don't think I've ever had anything like Donald Trump. Donald so. Trump, man. How about that? That's I got into a, I got into a Twitter war with Trey Young. <laughs> yeah, I do remember that. Yeah, I do remember <laughs> I do remember that. Yes, yeah. I got into a trigger, trigger uh, Twitter war with Trey Young. I got liked by Kim Kardashian. I got shouted out by Kerry Washington. That's that's about the that's 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 the long and short of it. Um, I guess I'd say this is that, you know, you mentioned a lot of Indiana fans never thought they'd see the day, and the reason is because like it's been twenty years, and the man has insisted he would never step back uh, in that building, and if anybody's gonna hold a grudge till the day they die, like it would be Bob Knight. Like yeah. that, that he's wired that way. And um, so the fact that it happened probably like this ain't the first time somebody's tried to talk him into doing this. Right. Um, they, they've honored all three of his national championship teams. He's never gone back. I promise you, they've tried to get him back every single time. He's never done it. So the fact that he went this time suggests to me that he softened a little bit. Or he's recognized, you know, there was, I think Pat Forty tweeted this, that the explanation for why, because he lives in Bloomington now, but they haven't always lived in Bloomington. They moved back last year. Yeah. And I, the explanation seems to be he just wanted to be in the community where he was so loved for such a long period of time and also like uh, you know health reasons and, and the doctors available to him but but part of it of going back to bloomington as the story goes was to that that that's where i spent the best years of my life and that's where i want to spend the last years of my life and if you're thinking along those lines at all it suggests that 
what happened inside that building on Saturday means something to you, that you wanted to have that experience. And so if that is um, any part of that is true, that he's gotten to a place where he wanted to let something go and be appreciated, I'm glad he got to that place because it is sort of sad that somebody as accomplished as him um, would would someday die a bitter man never having let that go because I listen, I've got all sorts of personal shortcomings, but one of the things I am good at is I don't hold grudges and I don't carry around resentment. I just don't, I don't deal with it. Like I promise you there are friends of mine or people who used to be in my life or in my life now who think that they've done me wrong and, and that I hate them forever. And the truth is I just, I don't even, it's not, that's not in me. I don't, I know that there are people who don't like me or have issues with me and deservedly. So I can honest to God, say this. I don't have an issue with anybody. I have no, I have no enemies from my perspective. I just don't carry that around. And he seems to be the complete opposite of that. And it just seems like such a miserable way to be like Bob Knight hating what happened to him 20 years ago or hating the way Miles Brand and other people in that administration hating what they did to him 20 years ago doesn't hurt anybody other than Bob Knight. Like nobody like Miles mm-hmm. Brand's dead. Uh, you know, the pe- other people there like it, it, it doesn't bother them. I promise you. The only person Bob Knight's that resentment hurts is Bob Knight. And any psychologist would tell you the same thing. So if he's let some of that stuff go, that's awesome. Because I always hoped um, that he would. And I was reading, you know, John Feinstein wrote a column. He obviously is the author of A Season on the Brink. And he had a column in the Washington Post last night. And it was really good. And and so it was the the first thing I wanted to read about this. And he points out that, yes, Bob Knight is all of the bad things you've heard. He's a bully. He is an angry, complicated man. In fact, and I didn't realize this. But the last on the final page of a season on the brink, um, this sentence was written. These sentences were written by John Feinstein. Quote, talking about Bob Knight, he will only be 46 years old, a young man with a bright future if he doesn't destroy it. That was on the final page of a season on the brink. He knew who this guy was and the complexities that you know, went hand in hand with Bob Knight. So I, I'm, I'm not going to shy away from any of that. He choked a player. Like he bullied people. He threatened people. He was an, an, an asshole to people and probably still is to this day. All of that is a part of him. But it is also worth noting from a NCAA basketball perspective, there was never any hint of impropriety. And Feinstein in his column tells stories about one season, Steve Alford, like did a calendar shoot or something in violation of NCAA rules. And this wasn't like the Indianapolis star broke the story or sports illustrated exposed it. Nobody knew, but Bob Knight was made aware of it. And they self, he called in his compliance person and had his compliance person call the NCAA literally the same day. And you know what game was next? The Kentucky, a game against Kentucky that they lost and as Feinstein tells the story, like Bob Knight could have done a couple of different things here. What he did, obviously, and that's what you're supposed to do. But what he also could have done is like waited until three days later and then self-reported it. Oh, we just found out about this thing. You, you get Alfred against Kentucky and then he misses a lesser game. All right. Or you could do what a lot of coaches would do, which is, hey, I don't, you know, we're just going to pretend I don't know about that. And it was possible nobody would ever find out. And it would never be an NCAA issue. But Knight immediately turned it in. 
and and it and it, 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 it took a loss because of it. Uh, another story was um, Feinstein said there were he found out that some of his players were getting free gas at a local gas station, like they could go there fill up, and you didn't have to pay for it. And when Bob Knight found out about it, he went to the gas station, and and like confronted the owner in an aggressive, angry way and said, if I ever hear about you giving my players anything for free, gas or gum, I will run you out of this town. I will have your place shut down. Um, he was really aggressive and proactive in trying to make sure his program was run um, within NCAA rules in a sport where we both know that doesn't always happen. And so I'm not saying that makes him an angel because it doesn't. I'm not even saying it erases the other stuff or balances it out because it doesn't. But when we say he's a complex man, like there's those stories. But then there's the stories I just told you, uh, a man who won three national championships and nobody's even ever suggested for a second that it was done outside of the NCAA rule book. That, that is, that's at least worth something. Sure, but he was a walking contradiction because he demanded uh, discipline and control out of his players and lacked it himself. So, uh, so yes, and, and complex man can sometimes be a pseudonym for just a, a huge jerk. So, his, again, his influence as a coach on the game can't be denied. When it comes to inside the lines, he uh, rightfully is regarded as a top-five coach in college basketball history. I don't have an issue with that. Um, but he is someone who is fairly – uh, painted as uh, the bully that he was for much of his career. And without debate, like the way that he coached basketball in 1974 would not fly today, nor should it fly today, nor will it ever fly again there. So um, for those of you in Indiana listening, uh, I do hope that um, it was something of a of a – a very positive experience, and for Knight and all all of his loved ones as well. There's no doubt about that. Uh, but yeah, that was a, a significant moment, one of the more uh, you know notable ones we've had this season, and that'll be the case uh, regardless. So um, I'm glad we talked about it, and you, you know, who knows if we're going to see it again? We'll see. Maybe next year the '81 title team will have a 40-year anniversary. I don't know, uh, and he'll show up again. Uh, we'll wait and see. But um, but yeah. And, you know, without exception, far as I know, every coach who ever goes back to be appreciated in this way, even if he left that school under awful circumstances, like it's a, it's a good feeling. You know, Nolan Richardson left Arkansas under similarly bad circumstances. You know, he he sued the school, like literally sued the school. Yeah. And. It was ugly for the longest time. And finally, I think Mike Anderson played a big role in this. He got Nolan to just come back to Fayetteville. Let that stuff go. These people want to love you for what you did and what you accomplished. Let them love you. Let yourself be loved. And Nolan went back, and it was an amazing experience. And he's been back several times since then. And, you know, I don't know that Bob, even if Bob was genuinely moved in a positive way, and went to bed Saturday night um, at some sort of peace and with some level of happiness. I don't know that he's the type that would ever express that verbally in, in a casual way. But I, I'm, I'm obviously I got no skin in the game. It doesn't affect my life in any real way. But I I did enjoy seeing him have that moment, and and because he did deserve it for every all the all the stuff he for what he meant in that community. I'll just keep it that simple. He is an icon 
on that campus and an icon in that community, icon throughout that state, um, a larger than life figure. And for him to, you know, agree to come back and allow the people who want to show him their appreciation for, for what he did for their state. Um, I, I thought it was a good thing. Uh, ultimately I, I, I don't watch those clips and go, I can't believe they're applauding that bully, bad man. I watch those clips and go, I'm glad that bully slash in many ways, bad man softened his stance enough to allow himself and everybody else and his family to have that moment. I thought it was a neat thing. Yeah. I'll just, my, yeah, I think it was a positive thing and, and good for most involved that it actually happened. Yes. Um, the two West Coast powers handled business on Saturday. My San Diego State Aztecs improved to 24-0 with an 89-74 win at Air Force. And Gonzaga beat the absolute piss out of St. Mary's 90-60. to Norlander, mm. are you ready to get in step with the top 25-1 and one and move the Zags to number one in your Hey 19? No, I think I'll still – now. you know what? Actually, I won't say no for sure. Uh, Baylor did have a little bit of a tussle there with Oklahoma State. It was a home game for Baylor, and they didn't win uh, convincingly. But we'll see what happens between now and Wednesday night when I'll refresh it there. Baylor's got another game. Gonzaga does not. Um, now, both these teams were on the one line – and the bracket reveal. Do you want to like combo this talk West Coast talk bracket, or you want to focus on just uh, the the bad boys out west? What do you want to do here? Well, um, first, some quick stuff on Gonzaga and St. Mary's cool. because they're they're both vying for a one seed and both vying for the one seed in the West. But they, it is possible, and the committee showed this on Saturday. They're both going to be one seeds, and one of them will just be sent somewhere else. Um, the way the committee did it, it was Gonzaga the one in the West, and I guess San Diego State. The one in the East with Duke as the two at MSG. Yeah. If they were, is that the is that the way you would have it now? Gonzaga, the one in the West. Oh man, um, you know this is going to make for an interesting conversation down the road here. Um, Baylor's got to be one in the South, Kansas one in the Midwest, and I think I would have. Ugh. After what? So how about this? Pre St. Mary's, I would have had it the way that the committee had it. Um, and even after, I guess I'd keep it there. The way that Gonzaga just dominated the Gales. And the Gales are not a top 30 team. I get that. But um, they're certainly a team capable of reaching the NCAA tournament and winning a game if they get there. And Gonzaga, <laughs> you appropriately described it as beat the piss out of St. Mary's. I just could not. I I didn't watch it for a little bit of a stretch there because I was finishing up the Duke Carolina column. And I had the TV on mute. I wasn't watching. And then, you know, I file. I, I unmute it. And I look up. And it was like. 50 to 20 or something absurd. And I was like, what? And Killian Tilly was able to return there. So I won't ramble GP. I would have it that way. But if you're San Diego State, I mean, there's a, a lot of pride to getting a one seed for a school like that. Like, that's something that just resonates and means something to that program forever. You'd rather be the two seed in the West and stay out there and play in L.A. than have to go across the country be the one seed and face Duke. Now, I don't totally subscribe to geography means more than seeding. I don't. Sometimes that can be the case. But in this case, if you're San Diego State uh, and Gonzaga's not going to lose again, you might think about just dropping a game to get to that two line. That might actually wind up serving oh, you better. Oh, you're chasing perfection. I, 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 sure. <laughs> 
That means something. It does. It is. It is good. It's good, but it's just a matter of what you want to attempt to do here. If your chances, I want to attempt to be undefeated. I want to attempt to win a national championship undefeated. That's what I'm. That's an. That's is obvious, and that's obviously what San Diego State is going to do. But there is certainly a chance um, that you could have two take two different realities: an undefeated San Diego State team. Actually, I don't even know if we'll get to this point. My mind's going in nine different directions. I believe that if Kansas and Baylor both lose at least one more time, and I think that'll happen, and San Diego State is undefeated, I believe San Diego State will be the number one overall seed. So if that happens, they're going to be the one in the West because that's going to be where they go. Remember, they get to pick. So if they can do that, uh, then we're not even talking. Then it's not even an issue. But absent of that, if you follow me here. San Diego State being a one in the East versus San Diego State being a two in the West. The if you factor in the geography, the opponents. I would you rather be undefeated and have to fly East and play potentially a Duke or a team or a Seton Hall in the Garden where there uh, there's going to be a heavy quasi road type feel to it. I think the probability of you getting to a Final Four is tougher in that scenario uh, than the other way around. That's all. Would you disagree? No. Obviously, playing an elite eight game against a um, against a, a one seed in the West. So let's say it's Gonzaga. Yeah. Obviously, you'd rather play. I don't know because let's think about this. Would you? What we're arguing is you stay out west as the two. You would theoretically be playing Gonzaga in the elite eight in the in L A. Yes, or stay or oh, well, the one I, versus Duke or Carolina or Duke or Carolina <laughs> Duke or Seton Hall at the Garden. Okay, well then, well, okay, I got it. Like you're going to be road game against Duke, road game against Seton Hall. Then it comes down to, yeah, but would you rather play Seton Hall anywhere than Gonzaga anywhere? I'd rather play Seton Hall than Gonzaga. There you go. That's what I said. <sighs> would you rather play Duke than Gonzaga? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, you know, like, like we we because I heard people make this point yesterday. Like, you don't want to be in the garden playing Duke. I'm like, well, maybe maybe you do if the other option is playing Gonzaga anywhere. Yeah, because I'll say this, Duke. You know, amazingness of that game aside, here, I mean, it's coming off a bad game against Boston College. Uh, metrics tell tell us Duke's a top three team. I'm just not seeing it. I, I I'm just I. There have been multiple examples here where I'm just not seeing Duke be that team. I guess it can be that team. But it is fascinating. Credit to San Diego State for continuing to get the job done. I personally want to see an undefeated team start the NCAA tournament again. We've been fortunate as we've gotten it with Kentucky and we've had it with Wichita State. I'd love to see it again. I think it would be awesome for for the sport in general if San Diego State undefeated made the Final Four. Think about how incredible that was. Think it was when Kentucky did it. It'd be arguably even better if you got a, an unlikely candidate like SC, SDSU to do it. Uh, I, I just don't know if this team is capable of n- literally not losing again until the Final Four starts. So was the last team to enter the tournament with a zero in the loss column Kentucky 2015? Yes. Yeah. The other day I was looking back at that team. It is bananas. That t- that team is bananas. Yeah, I, know, I know, man. What, what, are you, what are we talking about here? Yes. The, well, like the reason I was looking <laughs> at it. At the trade at the trade deadline, the Grizzlies went out and got Justice Winslow. So now they've got Justice Winslow, Tyus Jones, and Grayson Allen. They've got Duke's 2015 national title team right. on the Grizzlies. They just need to trade for Jolly Local for at this point. Correct. Which, by the way, did not uh, did not uh, play Kentucky that entire season. The champions no. the, the champions classic that season had Kentucky playing Kansas, and then Duke did not play them in the Final Four. Dude, do you know how big that Duke a Duke Kentucky title game right. with undefeated Kentucky would have been? Like, uh, okay, so I was looking at that Duke team, and then I 
because this is the way my mind works. I go start looking at that 2015 Kentucky team. Do you know what Carl Anthony Towns and Devin Booker were on that team in minutes played? Where are they ranked? I'm going to say Towns. Well, uh, Calipari's line was always like Towns average. I think he was fifth in points or something like that, or fourth in points. Minutes-wise, I don't know, but you definitely had the Harris. The whole thing was Harrison Twins getting more burn than Ulyss, who was a freshman on that team. I thought Collie Stein was actually a top three. He wasn't a – you say Collie Stein? He was like a top three guy in minutes, was he? Uh, yeah, yeah, but I'm talking about Devin Booker. Oh. The two best pros from that team are Devin Booker and Carl Anthony okay. Towns. Do, trivia time. Okay. <laughs> you tell you, me. You kind of improv your way into that, but sure. <laughs> well, I, I didn't. You're like, I didn't, it's trivia time. Here we go. I didn't. I didn't know that I was going to talk about this on this podcast. But then when I started talking about it, I was like, I can get a trivia time out of this. Um, where were the two best players? The best pros from that Kentucky team are Devin Booker and Carl Anthony Towns. Where did they rank in minutes per game on that Kentucky team? I'll say Towns is fourth and Booker is seventh. You are wrong. Okay. Devin Booker was sixth. Okay. And Carl Anthony Towns was seventh. Wow, Cat was seven? Six dudes played more minutes per game than Carl Anthony Towns. That's amazing. He was the number one pick in the draft. Six wow. dudes play more minutes than him. That's incredible. Do you think if you ever got John to open up, he would tell you that that he regrets the way that season went? The way the season went, I don't know. That that season had I was at the Kentucky Notre Dame game, Elite Eight, um, which now five years later almost feels like it's settled into like supremely underrated. That was a two-point Kentucky win, and Notre Dame could have easily won it. That was an incredible, incredible Elite Eight game, one of the best ones ever. And it followed up that by playing Wisconsin and losing. And the one thing about it was Wisconsin was the team. Like, in the moment, that season, leading up to the tournament, the the team that everyone said would give Kentucky fits was if they met Wisconsin with Decker and Kaminsky, and that, lo and behold, wound up being the case because Nigel Hayes was a good player on that team. Bronson Koenig was good. Don't forget the legend Josh Gosser. I don't know if he's a legend, but shout out to you, Josh, anyway. So, anyway, that, that, and that wound up happening. What are we even talking about by that? How did we get from there from San Diego State? Uh, zero entering, uh, zero losses go. entering the That's NCAA tournament. Dude, Aaron Harrison took – 90 more shots that season than Devin Booker. <laughs> Here's what I mean. Like when I, if John wishes he could do that over. Like I, look, they were 38-0 in the final four. They've got the highest adjusted efficiency margin in the history of the Kimbaum era, even though they didn't win the national championship. But like if you just make Tyler Eulis your point guard full time, and if you basically say, I don't care about the Harrisons being happy, I'm I, Tyler Eulis is my one, Devin Booker is my two, mm. and Carl Anthony Towns is going to play 28 minutes a game. Yeah, I mean maybe uh, they got they went thirty eight no, so it's hard. To, I know, right? I got and it. And yeah. you could have done that, still been thirty eight no, and still lost to Wisconsin no matter what. So it's, I got it. yeah, it is an interesting yeah. what if though. Uh, anyway, San Diego State. Yeah. Um, that, to circle it back to them, they're not going to lose. I've been I've been predicting this for weeks, and it, it, and I, I it, it, with every impressive performance, it it you know statistically speaking, becomes less likely that they're going to take a loss before Selection Sunday. They're not going. I, I think they're going to be undefeated. I think they're going to be a one seed. And I think they're going to have a legitimate chance to win the national championship. And by the way, every time you, not you, but certainly I, write something or say something about San Diego State, people point out that, ah, oh, they're just playing in the mountain. They don't play anybody. They don't play anybody. You know, they, 
I get it. Like they're not playing the Big Ten schedule. I, I'm not going to try to argue otherwise. But they do have five, four quadrant one wins, and they do have eight. They're eight and zero in quad one slash quad two opportunities. So they got more. I bet you the average fan doesn't realize this. San Diego State right now has more quad one wins than Duke, has more than Louisville, has more than Michigan State, has more than LSU. And they've got the same number of wins in the first two quadrants as Kentucky. So they don't play the same schedules those guys play. But when you just start looking at quad one stuff and quad two stuff, like, they, you know, they're, they're, their first two quads, their first quad is better than Duke's. Their first two quads is the same as Kentucky's. They're, they, they've got enough on the resume to get – you know, to get a one seed and maybe the number one overall seed. And they now have nine road wins, which is more than almost anyone in college basketball. And road neutral right now, 12-0. and 0. That's why I actually think in under, if, again, if you've got, let's say Kansas wins at Baylor, then Kansas takes a loss to get to a fourth loss, and San Diego State does not lose, um, I think that San Diego State would be the number one overall team if it was undefeated because at that point you're looking at, hold on real quick, nine now, then you'd be, t- you'd be 11 road wins, then give them three more in the Mountain West and neutral. You're at 17 combined road neutral wins. I think that stuff is eventually going to add up, and you will get at you're going to get probably one, maybe two more quad ones in there as well. Maybe not. I think a sh- I, I would I would lobby for them to be the number one overall seed if they uh, if they indeed did not take a loss there. I'm not as emphatic as you, but I do lean more yes than no. Um, chance of unbeaten record at the end of the regular season right now per Ken Palm is still a less than 50-50 proposition. 48.1% only roadies left at Boise State a week from when we are doing this podcast, and then they close out the regular season at Nevada. Those might be a little bit slippery. GP. Hmm. Um, let me. Can I uh, can I refresh listeners on what these uh what this bracket looked like on Saturday before the I don't care. I don't, I don't care. Okay. Well, here's the deal: Baylor, Kansas, San Diego State, Kentucky were all one seeds, and then you had uh so all those teams won. Good on you. Dayton won. Got a little tight. Louisville won. Duke won, but almost lost. West Virginia promptly lost. I didn't think West Virginia should have been a two. Seton Hall three one. Florida State a three. Did they win? Did FSU win? It won, right? They always win with a with a team high. With a yeah, they played Miami. Yeah, they romped them. They, they, uh, listen, as somebody who updates the top twenty-five and win every day, here's what I can tell you about Florida State. <laughs> they always they win. almost always win, and their leading score almost always has fourteen points. Okay, <laughs> okay. Shout out to Devin Vassell. Um, Maryland a three after it won at Illinois. I would have actually when this was revealed, I would have had Maryland on the two line, West Virginia on the three, whatever. Now those teams uh, flipped on their outcomes. Maryland would clearly be a two if we redid this right now. Um, Nova three lost. Butler a four lost against Marquette. Oregon a four lost to Oregon State. Auburn a four managed to somehow win, and then Michigan State a four lost. So um, I when this was released, I would have just I would have had. Gonzaga and San Diego State for the three or four was a total toss-up to me. I didn't really have uh, – there wasn't much to be angry about. I just thought Maryland a two instead of West Virginia, and then I would have actually had Penn State as a four instead of Michigan State. But then it's just so funny. Like, this thing gets released at 1230, and then you've got this huge day of games, and, uh, like, you had, like, seven of these teams lose anyway uh, to mix up the the list as it was. So um, I just wanted to address it real quick. I didn't know if you had any uh, objections. I didn't find there would be too much to object to, and I think I said this on the Friday pod. I know I said it on HQ. But the past three years we've done this February reveal, every single year, three of the four one seeds in February were one seeds in March, so only one team moves down. And so if you're a fan of any of the ones that were on the one line, be happy because chances are good that will indeed still be the case when we get to Selection Sunday. 
uh, the one seeds, if you looked at Saturday morning's top 25 and one, they were one, two, three, and four in the top 25 and one. And if you take the 16 teams that the NCAA identified as top four seeds, 15 of them were in the top 16 of the top 25 on, uh, and one on Saturday morning. So people sometimes accuse, and perhaps accuse is the wrong word, but um, accuse me of, well, you're just doing the selection committee's job. Well, I do th- you know, I, I do take a similar approach to what the selection committee would do. I just do it every single day. And the reason is because I do want those rankings to replicate what, you know, if the tournament started today, these are where these 26 teams would likely be seeded. Even if I'm not putting seeds next to them, I'm putting them one, two, three, four, five, all the way through 26. So I'm ne- I think almost always, if I look back on it, the top 25 and one is a pretty close um, to what, to what the bracket reveal initially shows. And so, you know, I had 15 of the 16, the only one. And so you asked, did I have a gripe? My gripe would be Michigan state did not belong in there. And that's even before Michigan state lost to Michigan. Yeah. Um, they didn't belong in there. I had, I would have had Penn state. So they had, they had Penn state out, Michigan state in, I would have had Penn state in Michigan state out. So that was my only gripe. And so I'm griping about a four seed, but I, I think as of Saturday morning, Michigan state was closer to a six seed than a four seed and obviously then they go out and lose to Michigan and when I updated the top 25 on one on Sunday morning I had to remove two teams uh, one of them was Michigan State and the other one was Arizona because Arizona <laughs> late Saturday lost to US uh, UCLA I, I know that was the other one that was happening alongside of Gonzaga uh, again removing the piss from St. Mary's um, yeah that was so okay couple things one when this happened Arizona was eight in the net it's now 11 but Arizona was the highest ranked team not in the top 16 it had no business being there I was not surprised to not see it there and you since you mentioned Penn State 18 and five eight and four record in the big 10 six and three in quad one five and two in quad two I guess because it has two quad two losses that's why it, it, it got dinged and the top of the resume isn't as good as Dukes but what was surprising was that um, when they were talking about the teams that were in discussion for that for outside, it was Iowa, LSU, and Kentucky. Didn't even mention Penn State, which I thought was um, just a little bit bizarre uh, because you've got the Big Ten, which is the strongest conference in the country, and now, weirdly, like Maryland's the only team in the Big Ten that can get a one seed. Michigan State has no shot at this point, too many losses. Maryland is still sitting nice. Um, but I found myself thinking um, – Baylor, Kansas, San Diego State, Gonzaga, Louisville, Dayton, Maryland to me should have been on the two line, and then Duke at that time at the two before we saw the 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 UNC stuff. I thought, you know what, like, and then Seton Hall was on the three. Florida State, as you mentioned, never loses, uh, and then Auburn with a, a gaudy record at the four line. I thought, yeah, okay, yeah, maybe it is a weak season. But I look at these teams, and I'm not dispirited. I don't think that all these teams stink. So again, I love the sport. Maybe it's just my own myopic view there. But I, I do you agree? Like when I looked at those, I was like, no, there's a lot of Fairly good teams with strong resumes that have set themselves up pretty nicely at this point in the season. I didn't see 16 teams and thought, no, yeah, when this is actually put right in front of my face, like, wow, the sport absolutely sucks this year. Well, I, I thought Mike Krzyzewski put it right last week, um, maybe after the win at Boston College. He said, there's a lot of teams with great records. He said, I don't know that there's any great teams. And I think that's true. Gonzaga I don't think looks there's... great right now, Parrish. You don't think Gonzaga, Gonzaga looks like a great team right now? They look like it uh, on Saturday night while beating the piss out of St. Mary's. They shot 
67.9% from the field and 53.3% from three. They were up 53-28 at the half. Just insane. Little homie Killian Tilly got 19 points in his yeah, return. <laughs> Nothing about Killian Tilly is little, man. That dude is it for real. Mark Fugan nope. said he said he was like at 40%, and he was still so good. You could, if he can somehow stay decent and be 80% for the tournament, uh, it would be hard for me to pick against Gonzaga easily into the Final Four. But anyway, I didn't mean to go off they're, on a tangent. Yeah, they're number one in offensive efficiency, 17-game winning streak, 11-0 and in the WCC, winning those games by an average of 23.6 points. So when I inevitably get the question again, why do you have Gonzaga ranked number one if instead of Baylor? Baylor's got the better resume. Gonzaga was number one after they played their non-league schedule, and they've just been killing people in the, the West Coast Conference. I'm not going to punish them uh, for that. Um, so I, I'll, I'll, I'll go Gonzaga is a great team. Even if the adjusted efficiency margin wouldn't be great if you put it into last season, I think it would be like around seventh or eighth best if you compared it to, to the teams that, you know, competed for the national championship last season, but it's 25 and one through 26 games with the number one offense in the country. I'll call them great. If you want to call them great. And, you know, San Diego state's really good. Baylor's really good. Oh, here's another team, by the way, that I don't think's losing. Again, before Selection Sunday, Dayton. Yeah, I, I, I don't disagree, man. They're awesome. Now, they got, a, they got a nice push from St. Louis, and they do have a tough one against Rhode Island, Rhode Island coming up, and then they got to go to Rhode Island in March. I hope to be at that game. So I'm more in on San Diego State not losing again and Gonzaga not losing again before Dayton not losing again. But uh, that's all possible, and I think it would be – to me, like I that would love a tournament that started with an undefeated San Diego State – and what, a two-loss Dayton and a one-loss Gonzaga? To give me that every single time. I'm ready for it. If Gonzaga doesn't lose again and and San Diego State never loses, we know that they're going to be one seeds. If Dayton also does not lose again, they'd be a one seed too? Probably. Could we have one seeds that are Gonzaga, San Diego State, and Dayton? It's possible, but it, there will need to be – like one of Kansas or Baylor has to drop a couple of games it shouldn't. You're going to have to have Louisville fall out of the picture a little bit. Maybe Maryland take some losses, which is probably going to happen in the Big Ten. And then Duke is going to have to maybe lose again. But it's all those teams, and like Seton Hall can't like not lose. Seton Hall can't win out. You know, if that happens, given the Big East, it's going to be there. I, I'm going to say no, but it would be. And then like if that happened, people would be like stupidly killing college basketball. I would love it. <laughs> Give me to me this. Give me a tournament with one seeds of Baylor, Gonzaga, San Diego State, and Dayton. Oh, absolutely! Because we're not going to get something like that again, probably for decades. So I'll absolutely serve it up. I'll eat it. One seeds led by Obi Toppin, Killian Tilly, and Malachi Flynn. Mm. I'm in. I love that. Yeah, I love it. Um, I had an Oscar-related question for you, but I can save it for after the review, though, because I know we got to hit the Sunday review as well. Let's talk Oscars now. I'm bored with that other stuff. All right, real quick, real quick here. Because we're recording this before the Oscars. I've had maybe, you know, when you get to having kids, getting to the theaters doesn't happen. I have seen one one movie that's nominated for Best Picture. So they're Ford versus Ferrari, The Irishman, Jojo Rabbit, Joker, Little Women, Marriage Story, 1917, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and Parasite. The only one I saw was The Irishman. And I only saw that because I had the diverticulitis and I watched it in the hospital. <laughs> it, it, and it took me like 24 hours. I couldn't like just, I was like, I can't watch this in one sitting there. So I watched it. It was fine. Whatever. Um, 
I'm going to guess, you didn't ask me, but I'm going to guess, knowing you, uh, I'm going to say you've seen The Irishman. I, I tried to watch The oh. Irishman about six different times. Yeah, and every time, I, there's something I'd have to do or I'd fall asleep. And then finally, I was just like, you know what? The world's not going to end if You're, I don't see this movie. It will not. And to me, it's fine. I'm never going to watch it again. Um, you have not seen Jojo Rabbit. There's no way. Of course not. Oh, I, I can go ahead and help I'm gonna you. Tell, I, I want to guess. Hold on. I'm a, uh, okay. You've definitely seen Joker. I, I, even though really? I am best friends with, Joke, uh, with uh, Joaquin okay. Phoenix, I have not seen Joker. Wow, that is surprising. You haven't seen Little Women. No. I don't think you've seen Four versus Ferrari. No. I kind of, I'm going to say you have seen Marriage Story. I started it and fell asleep. Do you have not seen 1917? No. I want to say you see, I'm trying to figure out if you would have bought the movie and watched it on a flight. So I want to say that you would have watched Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I have seen that. I went, my wife and I went to the theater to okay. see it. And then you haven't seen Parasite. I bought it last night and was going to watch it and then fell asleep. Yeah. I'm just falling asleep all the time. That's the one. Uh, uh, I, I bought it on iTunes last I night. I kind of like everyone wants it to win. That's the one I want to see, but I kind of don't want it to win because I want to be able to try. I want to try and watch this some like I guess rent it in the next like three or four days. I just haven't have, I don't have time, but the only ones on this list like I want to see. I'm just curious with Ford versus Ferrari. Um I'm not that interested in Joker. Uh, but Parasite and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, those are the ones I want to see. So I, I actually have seen fewer than I than I yeah. expected. Um, okay. The, the, okay. What, what's happened, this is the worst I've ever been going into an Oscars in terms of number of Best Picture nominees that I've seen. And, like, I, 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 I enjoy movies. I wanted to, like, I wanted to watch Marriage Story. I wanted to, at the very least, before tonight, I wanted to watch Marriage Story um, and Parasite. And I just could, I just can't, I don't have time. I like it. it there aren't not enough <laughs> hours in the day for me to even get through my days. Like this is supposed to be, honestly, like my wife and kids went to the zoo today. The weather was nice. And like, I got up at 7 a.m., ranked 26 basketball teams, then did 30 minutes on Sportsline, CBS Sports HQ, then did pregame Wisconsin-Ohio State, halftime Ohio State, uh, Wisconsin-Ohio State, postgame Ohio State-Wisconsin, and then Started preparing for the podcast, and now we're recording, and like, and the Oscars start in thirty minutes. I <laughs> no. I don't have time to do anything. It, like it, it's 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 frustrating <laughs> that I don't have time to do things. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. I just I just want to do stuff. It's like not your like, fault. and when I say do stuff, I mean like watch a movie. <laughs> no. Like I really thought today, I was like, you know what? Because they had already left to go to the zoo. So, like, the, I was out on the zoo. There's no doing the zoo. They couldn't wait on me or they chose not to. And I wasn't going to go meet them by myself. So, it was like, okay, I've got like three hours right now. I could watch Parasite. And then I was like, if I watch Parasite, that, that's two hours that I'm not preparing for the podcast or preparing for my radio show tomorrow or preparing uh, or trying to go ahead and do whatever I can for the top 25 and one tomorrow. Just getting, you know, like working ahead. I was like, I'll, I'll, I'm already behind on stuff. I'll never get caught up. And if I spend two hours, then it's just even worse. So I, I, so I couldn't watch Paris. I want to watch Parasite so badly. <laughs> you can make it. I believe in you. I think you can make it happen before the next podcast. <laughs> Squeeze it in. First half on one flight, second half on the return. I, I, you know, here's the, the – you would think I, everything would be like, okay, on Monday you got to do radio. you got to do podcast, 
I mean, you got to do top 25 and one, then radio, but then you get on a flight to New York and it's like, just flying to New York, you get your drink. You could just watch a movie, except I got to write that stupid ass poll attacks column on the plane. <laughs> That's the way I spin my, my, my flights. I write that stupid. Co- I hate that column. <laughs> like I, I, there would be nothing better than to get on that flight and just watch every Monday night, just watch a movie and have a drink that like, that'd be amazing. And instead, I'm trying to look for an idiot AP voter to make fun of. There's always one for you, too. They're always there. I, I like. Would anybody care? Do you think our bosses would mind if I said next season, I don't want to do this anymore? A, because it's not fun for me anymore. And B, I just want to watch movies. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> do you think they'd be okay with that? That's a heck of a, <laughs> heck of a lob right there. Yeah. I just, I wanna, I can, you can do a movie poll attack. You can pull attack once a year after the Oscars. There you go. Maybe yeah. twice. Mix it a little yeah. Golden Globes there. So, well, God. I didn't realize we were going down that avenue. But uh, since we are going to, so like me, you're going to kind of watch the Oscars and not know anything about oh, any of these. Yeah, movies. I'm definitely going to watch the Oscars. I love award shows and I love live television. And so, like, yeah, my wife and I watch the Oscars and then watch <laughs> watch our six year old and three year old fight and cuss with each other. And then we'll watch the Oscars and try to keep them separated as much as possible. All right. Hey, who left a good review for us? Um, D shoe. D shoe left D a nice review. Shoe? D that, listen, I can only as in touch... shoe as in on your foot or shoe as in Gardner Minshew. As in shoe on your foot. Okay. Yeah, um, I can only provide the name that they provide. Okay. Uh, this is uh, D shoe, and he's from Charlotte. He says, "Certified college hoops junkie from Charlotte who frequents the infamous Chester, South Carolina, once a month here. Oh. Although there are many college hoops pods out there, none compare." To CBS Sports, I own college basketball. Parrish and Norlander are not only knowledgeable, informative, and entertaining, but also hilarious. Whether it be botched trivia times, terrible British accents, or ridiculous references to a two-year-old Tony Hinkle, this pod has it. Uh, this pod has it all. The pod is number one in the computer metrics, but also. Uh, passes the eye test, or should I say the ear test, since GP apparently likes to podcast in the dark. I haven't missed an episode in over five years and now find myself eagerly refreshing my podcast list every few hours, three times a week and once a week in the lull of the offseason just to get my fix. Again, if you're looking for a great college hoops podcast, I'll take GP and Deadleg Norlander over any other pod every time. Straight up. You are, <laughs> you are sitting in the dark again. Yeah, it is happening. You are uh, you're sitting in the dark. That is one of the best. Re- every review every week is really good, but that was that was a solid graph right there. That's really nice. Shouts to you, very much so. We appreciate that. And uh, no, yeah, it's it's much appreciated. Oh, oh, I did before I forget. This is a long podcast. I didn't intend it on being so long, but I hope everyone appreciates that. Um, I got a di- I got a direct message. I got to give this guy a shout. Um, so his name, I believe, is Graham. This is what he told me after Friday's podcast. He goes, as you know, I have been listening f- to you guys for eight plus years. So he goes way back. He goes back to when I was like, I was doing it and bringing you on and with Goodman and stuff. He goes, I thought Parrish was black. <laughs> I only saw him on CBS a year or so ago. What? I've I got to know if anyone before. else thinks that, by the way. I've, I've gotten that before on radio. You have. Wow. Yeah. Yes, that people think I'm black. <laughs> I wish I was black. <laughs> I it just it just knocked me over. Graham shouts to you. Um, but that was yeah, that was I was not prepared for it. And that 
that never crossed my mind there. But yeah, maybe uh, maybe others think that, think about that as well. But you're out there now enough where I I feel like pretty soon after people hear your voice, they see what you look like. But after we talked about that, uh, my wife has yeah. had people come into her store or meet them or whatever, and she'll you know you just get to talk. it's mothers, it's a children's boutique, so it's like mothers talking to mothers, and it's like oh let me see your kids, and, and, and they're like oh let me see your how old's your littlest one, and so Kelly will show them pictures of the kids. And and Kelly's multiple times had a woman go, um, because our kids are like blonde hair, blue eyed, right? Yeah. And she'll have people go, um, I thought you had mixed race babies. Oh my gosh. I thought your husband was black. Because <laughs> all they do is hear me on the radio. I've never thought I'd. I don't even. I don't even know what sounds black means. But like, I, I don't know. I never. It, I never assumed that somebody might think that about me. And yet, I've had Kelly's de- heard it. I've heard it. That person is not the first person to ever think from my voice that I am an African-American. <laughs> you want to wrap? Uh, Let's wrap. Preview in, preview in CBS Sports Network. I'm going to be back in studio Tuesday night. Uh, we got a doubleheader on tap. It's that Rhode Island-Dayton game you mentioned. Rhode Island at number six, Dayton at 7.30 Eastern, followed by 9.30 Eastern, Utah State at Colorado State. And that URI-Dayton game should like be great. The Rams are one of the better stories in college basketball just operating off of the national radar because they haven't been ranked but i will tell you when i looked at you know i was trying to figure out who to replace arizona and michigan state on sunday morning in the top 25 and one like rhode island was on my list i didn't include them and i've got to now find somebody to replace ohio state and i don't think i'll include them there but like they're very much in that top 35 range 18 and 5 overall, 10 and 1 in the Atlantic 10. They've won 10 straight. They got Fats Russell. So, should be a fun game. 7:30 on Tuesday night, Rhode Island at number 6 Dayton. So, uh, I'll be in studio. So, if you're bored, turn it on. Shouts to Devin Downey, shouts to Chester, South Carolina, shouts to Terry M.F. and Teagle. He's a legend. Shouts to Larnell, shouts to D. Shoe. And please go subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast via Apple Podcasts. Rated favorably, five stars, nice comments. And um, we're going to talk to you again on Wednesday. Till then, take care. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.